All right, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts this afternoon. I think evening starts at 6 p.m. <laughs> the evening and the morning with the first day. There we go. I believe that's the Jewish time. So it's not evening yet. Just out of curiosity, how many of you uh, had lunch? All right. How many of you had too much? Uh, <laughs> how many of you went out to eat? How many of you went home to eat? How many of you live in Cumberland County? I'm curious about that. How many of you live outside of Cumberland County? All right, still come here. Amen. Good. It's a blessing. Um, how many of you are tired? At least you're honest about it. What are you tired about? You haven't done anything. <laughs> if you're a teenager, you shouldn't be tired, should you? Are you a teenager? I was in Brother TJ's church this morning and had to drive all the way up here. Oh, all the way over here. Wow, what a blessing. <laughs> all right, the book of Acts. Now, I'm very, very serious when I say this. It is my heart's desire to be a blessing. Hey. You know, um, I, don't, I don't take these things lightly. And uh, Brother Schoolfield was gracious. I called him. I didn't know I was going to have to preach a funeral last Sunday, so I missed my church on Sunday night, which doesn't. I don't like missing any, but certainly two Sundays in a row. And so I felt like I needed to be, they would have probably been happy for me to not be there tonight, but I was more happy to be there tonight. I appreciate y'all doing this. And, uh, you know, I've known Brother Schoolfield for, my goodness, I don't know, over 20 years, surely. And I appreciate his faithfulness. And, uh, you know, we all go through things. And uh, all of us have our ups and, ups and downs in life. We have good days and bad days. And sometimes faithfulness just requires you to just stay by the stuff when it's not fun, Amen. when it's not enjoyable, yes. when it seems like the whole world's against you. Amen. And I appreciate your pastor's faithfulness. Yes, and, uh, you know, I appreciate your faithfulness. Yeah. It's my heart's desire to help uh, Victory Baptist Church. I, I don't come over here just to preach. I'll be honest with you. I get to preach... I probably average 20 times a month. And so just to preach is not why I'm here. I want to help Victory Baptist Church. And you might say, well, what makes you think we need help? You're breathing. <laughs> we all need help. Yes. I need all the help I can get. Amen? And so take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 8. Let me ask you to stand as we honor the reading of the Word of God, if you are able. And if not, we certainly understand that. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, famous, famous verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says to the early church, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So he says, you're going to get the Holy Ghost and then you're going to be witnesses everywhere, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth. Now we come to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Verse 1, and the Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. That's the death of Stephen. And Saul was there and consented to it. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went 
everywhere preaching the word. Let's pray. Dear Father, it's an honor and a privilege to stand in this pulpit. Lord, I don't take it lightly. I pray, God, that you would take this frail creature of dust and, Lord, this unworthy preacher, this weak-based, despised thing of naught, and, Lord, allow the Holy Ghost to do through me what I can't do. Lord, I'd sure like to be a blessing to Brother Bob. Lord, a blessing to this church. Somehow, maybe a shot in the arm this afternoon. Maybe just some encouragement. Maybe a challenge. Uh, but, Lord, you do whatever you want to do. Father, you know the need of the hour. And I pray now that you would use this time for your glory and to help your people. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. Be seated. So, you agree with me, I think, that uh, it looks like the command of Acts 1 was not being obeyed. They're told to go to all the world, and they're sort of hanging around Jerusalem. Do we all agree on that? Uh, their comfort zone, if you will. Oh, no. Yeah. And, and then God put the Democrats in. I mean, persecution. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that way. It could just as easily be Republicans. Uh, That's not Our hope is not in the Republican Party. Amen. Our hope's not in the Democratic Party. Our hope's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But God knows how to get you out of your comfort zone. I got a feeling some of you could use a little stirring. A little shaking. I preached this morning uh, from Hebrews chapter 12 where how does God speak? Sometimes He shakes. It's called an earthquake. Sometimes it's called a tornado. Sometimes it might be a wildfire out west. It might be uh, your daddy gets cancer. God knows how to shake your world up. And sometimes we just need to get out of our comfort zone. And so God gets them out of their comfort zone. I think if you know any history at all, and based on the walls, you folks know a little history. And uh, anybody that knows any Christian history knows that it's during the hard times that the church has thrived. Amen. And it's during the easy times that we get lax and lazy and comfortable. And God sometimes has to send something our way to get us out of our comfort zone. And so somebody said in the early church, evangelism was as natural as breathing. So here we are, Acts chapter 1, he told them to go. They didn't really get busy about the business until Acts 8, so he allows persecution to come. And so they go everywhere. And then I want you to see in verse 5, Acts chapter 8, verse 5, somebody tell me the first word in verse 5. Then. Did you know there's some thens in your life? To stir you up. My daughter-in-law, who is a great young lady, married my son, and five children. Her day is Brother Phil Dunn. I know this is going to be recorded. And uh, he's battling cancer. And uh, they're on their way out there right now. About a 12-hour drive. Don't know how long he's got. You know what that'll do? That'll shake up your world. Especially if you're married and, and uh, all of a sudden your 30-year-old wife has cancer. Your 30-year-old husband. Or all of a sudden you're told you can't have children. Or all of a sudden you have a child. I'm talking about the thens in your life. In other words, if you study about Enoch that walked with God, it was after his son was born that he walked with God. You know if there's anything that ought to motivate you, it's having children. My, my children and grandchildren are the greatest source of motivation as I have. I want my grandchildren. I've got 11 of them now. One of them is uh, 14. Uh, and, and you know, I want them to remember Papa staying faithful. Amen. I want 
children and grandchildren to see the, in the good times and the bad, uh, when everything was going great, when everything was going terrible, uh, when somebody in the church opposed me, or when there was no opposition, I want my children and grandchildren to be able to say one of these days, my daddy stayed faithful. So having children is a good then moment in your life. There's a lot of those then moments. Your children leave home. <laughs> That's a then moment. I used to walk into my daughter's room every night. I have two daughters, and now they're married with their own children. Both of them have two. And every night, first of all, I used to rock them to sleep until I couldn't hardly stand up. They were so big, and I couldn't carry them any longer. And, and then I'd... I'd take them to their bedroom and lay them down. And then they got older, they go to bed on their own, and now they're teenagers. And I'd go knock on that door. Amy, can I come in? Yes, Daddy. And I'd go in, we'd have our devotions, and, and we'd pray together. And then I'd go over to Kelly's room, which is across the hall, and we'd have our devotions, and we'd pray together. And we'd talk about what's going on in their heart, and what problems, and burdens, and, and, and difficult things that's going on inside their mind and heart. And I did that every night for years, until Amy, my last daughter, finally got married. And then I walked up to that bedroom, and it was empty. I walked across the hall to that bedroom, and it was empty. That was a then moment in my life. They call it empty nest. I don't think you have to go through the doldrums. I don't think you have to be depressed. I don't think you have to be 50 and go out and buy a Corvette and start wearing coaching shorts again either. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. It's real. Yes. And you know what the then moment did for me? It helped me to see. It's like the Lord said to me, hey, you got more time to minister now. Yes. See, when you have a wife and a child, you've got a responsibility. 1 Corinthians 7 teaches very clearly that if you've got a wife, you've limited your opportunity to serve God. Mm -hmm. And so now I've got a wife, and guess what? She's not interested in playing games at night. She don't want me to, to sit down and play Scrabble with her like I did Amy and Kelly. She don't want to play Monopoly or Rook. Or it, you know, it's just not, so now I've got all that time. What can I do with it? I can do more studying, more preparation, more serving, more ministry. It was a then moment. I didn't like it, but I've had to accept the fact that there are then moments. Somebody had a bad wreck. It's a then moment. He lost his job. I walked into our church one Sunday morning on December the 5th or 6th, somewhere in there. It was the first Sunday of our missions conference, and five men walked in that morning, having been told that morning that their job was gone. In the mines. The mines shut down in Smith County at the time. First day of our missions conference, five men lose their job. Our faith promise went up that year about $200,000. That was a event moment for those guys. All that they'd worked for all their life, pensions and retirement, not, gone. Company went out. That's a event moment. You see, I won't talk about your tragedy, your problem in life, what it is you're going through. But just remember, God works in the event moments. God shows up in the then moments. And verse 5 says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. So we're introduced to this man named Philip. Not the apostle. This is a different Philip. We're going to come back to Acts chapter 8. I want to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21, I sure would like to help you today. And I believe God will help you. I preached this morning on how God speaks. And I told them, a lot of people said, does God still speak today? My question is, do men still listen? Uh -oh. God still speaks. But do we still listen? The Bible says over here in Acts chapter 21, verse 8. Acts chapter 21, verse 8. 
And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea. And we entered into the house of who? Philip the Evangelist. And the Bible here tells you something which was one of the seven and abode with him. And I told my church recently when I preached this, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 9 just because if I don't, you'll think I ignored it on purpose. It says, And the same man had four daughters virgins which did prophesy. <laughs> don't you love that verse? That sort of goes against the grain of independent King James fundamental Bible-believing Baptist, doesn't it? And they say, Preacher, what are you going to do with that? It's real simple. I'm not going to preach on that. I'm preaching on verse 8. <laughs> I can say a lot about verse 9, but I wouldn't want to steal Brother Bob's thunder. I'll let him straighten that out for you later. Oh, glory. All right, so the Bible says here in verse 8 that he's one of the seven. So let's go back to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. I want us to talk about Philip a little while today. Yes. And uh, learn a little bit from Philip if we can. I know this is a missions conference, but mission starts in Cumberland County. Mission starts in Crossville. Mission starts where you live. Yes. Amen. Amen. So here in Acts chapter 6, we're told that he's one of the seven. In Acts chapter 6, by the way, you probably know this. Stephen is often called in your Bible the first martyr, and Philip's called the first missionary. It's said there in Acts 21 he's an evangelist, but that's probably the closest term we've got in the Bible to the word we use, missionary. Okay? But he's also one of the seven. So let's see what we can learn about Philip. The Bible says in Acts chapter 6 verse 1, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, the church is growing, there's a lot going on, there arose a what? Murmuring. Murmuring. <laughs> a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom that we, or whom we may appoint over this business. So uh, the ministry's getting big. There's a lot of widows needing some attention. And they're starting to murmur and complain. So they're going to choose seven men to take care of that job. And one of them is Philip. Look down at verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost, and Philip. So I want to talk about Philip for a few minutes. He's called the first missionary. But you know what I know about Philip? He was just a good church member. Before he ever got called to Samaria, before he ever got called to the desert, before God ever used him for a revival, the Bible says he's one of the seven men chosen to minister to widows. Isn't that what the Bible says? Yes. And you know why he's going to have to do that? Because they're whining and complaining and, you know, uh, you visited his mama, but you didn't visit mine. <laughs> And you went to the hospital when my Aunt Susie was in the hospital, but you didn't go see my uncle when he broke his toe. <laughs> you, you realize this is how people do things, don't you? Yes. And so there's this murmuring going on, and they've got to get somebody to help take care of the job. And uh, Stephen, or, or Philip, is chosen, but the Bible says right there, I want you to see it in verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look, ye out among you. Before he could be a good missionary, he just had to be a good church member. When I preach this in bigger churches with a lot of missionaries present, I look at that missionary and I tell him this. And I'm going to say this to you even though you're maybe not a missionary. Don't expect God to use you if you're not a good church member. Amen. If I know of a missionary that's not faithful to his local church, I'm not going to support him. 
Missionaries, preachers, evangelists, they need to be faithful to the church too. Yeah. And a missionary, when he's not on the field, you know where he ought to be? He ought to be faithful to his local church. I know about deputation. I know about furlough. And I know they've got to go out and give a report. And I know they've got to go out and raise support. I understand that. And I'm not against it. But if they're just sitting around taking a vacation all the time, they need to be at their church. Yes, I had a guy call me not too long ago. He was a missionary. He wanted to join our church. I said, where do your parents live? He said, New York. I said, where do your wife's parents live? He said, New York. I said, well, you know what? That doesn't sound like a very good idea. I said, because our church is in Carthage, Tennessee. And when you come off the field, I want to know where you're going to be. And so he didn't come to our church. He's a good man. Don't misunderstand me. A good man. But I don't want him having to fight that battle. Am I going to be faithful to the church or? Y'all understand this? Yes. So why does this apply to you? You've got to be a good church member. And I'm not for sure people know what a good church member is anymore. He's not a good church member because he's there on Sunday. He's a good church member because he's ministering to people that nobody else wants to minister to. Amen. And he's willing to do the jobs that nobody else wants to do. And he's willing to work in the shadows of Peter or James or John. Here's Philip, a man who's just a good church member, but also the Bible says in verse 3, Wherefore, brother, look out among you seven men of honest report. Well, Bob, we'll have our pastor school again in March of next year. You've come to our pastor school, son? Yes. We're going to have another one. One of the lessons I'm working on, and I'm going to say this to a bunch of King James Bible believers. I'm going to tell them I've been studying the qualifications of a pastor. And I've yet to find anywhere in the Bible where it says they've got to know how to write and divide the Word of God. I can't find a place where it says they've got to be able to quote 42 verses of Scripture. You know what the qualifications are? Men of character. Now don't misunderstand me. If you're going to preach and teach, you better learn how to write and divide the Word of God. Don't misunderstand me. We need to be dispensational. Don't misunderstand me. We need to get our doctrine right. But let me just ask you a question. Had you rather have a man of character that doesn't know his Bible yet like he ought to, or a man, you got a man of character that doesn't know his Bible, you got a man that knows his Bible left and right, and I mean he can exegete, and he can exposit, and he can do all that stuff, but he cheats on his wife. Which one do you want? <laughs> You say, well, those are not the only two options. I'm telling you a man of character will learn his Bible. Amen. A man of character will study his Bible, but a man who knows his Bible and has no character, he'll do more damage to the body of Christ than he will good. Amen. We need people who are church members with character. Because the Bible also says about this honest report, what that means is you study this, it means he had a good reputation. Let me tell you all this. Victory Baptist Church has a reputation. And you can either lift it or you can level it. You can help the reputation of this church or you can do great harm to the reputation of this yes. church. Amen. They used to say, don't drag the name of Jesus through the mud. I agree with that. But don't drag the name of your church through the mud either. Amen. Amen. I, I've told people before, if you're going to do that, please don't tell them you go to Cornerstone. <laughs> Amen. If you're going to live like that and watch those movies and go to those places and do all that stuff that the world's doing, don't even dare call yourself a Christian. And don't tell people you go to Cornerstone Baptist Church because all you're doing is hurting the name of Christ. That sounds harsh, I guess. It's true. But you know what? I just told my church this morning, now we've got, we've got on the Senate floor in Washington, 
We 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 got we got a guy wearing shorts and a hoodie. Where's, what's, there, what's going on in our world? As I told them this morning, it, it, there's nothing wrong with you raising the bar. There's nothing wrong with you taking the high road. You represent Jesus Christ and you represent Victory Baptist Church. Amen. Amen. You ought to have a good, honest report. You ought to have a good reputation, if you will. So here's a man willing to minister to widows. Now what's he going to deal with? Bitterness? What's he going to deal with? Gossip? <laughs> Petty complaints, jealousy. You think he's going to get an education? He's going to get an education. Oh, me. God is going to use a bunch of widows to school Philip. Right? That's what's going on. But Philip's job is bigger than you think. See, he's not just ministering to widows. He's making it possible. He's freeing up some men to labor in the Word of God and doctrine. Verse 4 says... We, boy, you talk about, how does this sound for a preacher to say, you listen, I need you to go visit the widows and I need you to go clean out the toilets and I need you to work in the fellowship hall and you take care of the nursery because i got to study. Is that not what's going on? That's what's going on. I thank God for Cornerstone Baptist Church. Years and years ago when I started that church, I was looking for a job, thought I was going to have to get a job, and they said, you know what? We don't want you to have a job. A bunch of men got together and said, we're going to keep your salary where it was at the last church because we want you to be able to do the work God's called you to do. You, have, you folks probably have no idea how much I respect a man that can work a full-time job and still try to do what he does. It is not easy. Amen. So you know what that means? He needs some Phillips. Yeah. Y'all hear me? He needs some Phillips in this church that's not... That, hey, you know what I, I know about Philip? You, you stop and think about what's going on here. He's, he's filled with the Holy Ghost. He's got a good reputation, but he's not too big to go to the nursing home. He's not too big uh, to, to, to work in the shadows while Peter gets to preach to the multitudes. I believe there are a lot of people. Look, turn to Exodus 39. Let's turn to Exodus 39. I believe there are a lot of people. I mean, this is all hard. This is not false humility. Take it for what it's worth. There's a lot of people at the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to stand in their shadows. You know what it said there in the book of Acts? It said, find seven men whom we may appoint. You know what else I know about Philip? He can take orders. Somebody can say, uh, could you just, after church, could you just straighten up the pews and just tidy up the song books and Maybe come down here before church night and just vacuum the floor. And you count that an honor. Instead of, what can't you do? You'll never be a fellow. Ma'am, ma'am, so-and-so's in the hospital and I've got so much going on. Could you go visit her tomorrow? I know you've got a lot to do. Could you go visit her tomorrow? Why are you asking me? Wrong attitude. Wrong attitude. The Bible says over here in uh, Exodus chapter 31, Exodus chapter 31, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezaleel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Is that what it says? Well, he's obviously going to use him to be a great preacher, great missionary, great evangelist. Look what it says. 
I filled him with the wisdom and fear, spirit of God, and wisdom and an understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones, to set them and in carving of timber, to work in all manner of workmanship. God's filling this man with the Holy Spirit so he'll be a good carpenter. A good plumber. A good electrician. You know what this world has done? It has, it has created a situation where, and I'm talking about independent Baptists, we think the great men of God are missionaries. And the great men of God are pastors. And the great men of God, let me tell you something. I got a man in my church, he works 12-hour shifts. Sometimes he gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning, goes to work, and don't get home until 6 and then shows up for Wednesday night Bible study. You know what I think that is? A spiritual giant. Amen. You know what I think? I got some ladies in my church that stay home with three, four, and five kids and change diapers and wash clothes and prepare meals and make the bed and hang the sheets out on the line and deal with a baby with a 102 degree fever. And then has a joyful spirit when her husband walks in. And calls and asks somebody at the church to pray for him because they're sick. Won't be there till Sunday. And she shows up Sunday after a week with a back-breaking job called motherhood. Mm-hmm. You know what that is? A spiritual giant. Amen. I've got men in my church that if I were to call one of them right now, busy as all get out all the time. And ask him if he could meet me after church tonight. I need to talk to him about something I need him to do tomorrow. He'd say, yes, sir, brother, and I'll be there. Those are your spiritual giants. I'm convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt at the judgment seat of Christ, my wife is going to be getting her rewards while I'm standing there in her shadow cheering her on. We need to understand what real service to God is. And I'm afraid that we've gotten sidetracked by all this. And here's what I fear. I fear that we think going to church is our service to God. And it's not. This is where you come to rest. (laughs) This is where you come to get your battery charged. This is where you come to get your tank filled. This is where you come to build one another, encourage one another, and be a blessing to one another and worship and praise. But when you go out those doors, that's when the ministry begins. That's where the work begins. And if you're talking about a man named Philip, it's hard work, it's grueling work, and you're going to get criticized, you're going to get talked about, you're going to be put down. I'm just telling you, these people are doing the work of God and there's no preaching, there's no mission work. They're just doing what they can for God. Hey. Let, let's go back to uh, the book of Acts and go to 1 Corinthians 15. Get both places if you would. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 15 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll get back to Acts in just a moment. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to remind you of something that I think we forget. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, it's the last Verse in chapter 15, a great chapter on the resurrection. But then it says this in verse 58. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren. Who's Paul writing to? The saint in Corinth, right? He's not writing to preachers. This isn't a book to 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy or Titus or Philemon. These are just a bunch of Christians, a bunch of 
people, men, women, these are just, to be honest with you, just carnal folks. Is that not what he tells them in 1 Corinthians 3? Yes. These are not, these are not necessarily what you and I would call spiritual giants, but he's trying to talk, show them something. And then the Bible says in chapter 15, verse 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, talking to the saints at Corinth, be ye steadfast, unmovable. Somebody tell me what's in after the word unmovable. Huh. I guess that's more than Sunday. I guess that's more than Wednesday night. Always just trying to get by. What's the next word? Abounding. I don't want you to just always be doing the work of God. I want you to do it aboundingly. I want you to do it with all your heart. I want you to be sold out and fervent and giving it your very best. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Not just when you feel like it. Not just during a missions conference. Not just when it's appreciated. But always abounding. Not halfway. Not half-hearted. Not token service. Always abounding in what? The work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? Well, Ephesians 4 tells you that God gave you a pastor to perfect you for the work of the ministry. It's what all of you do. You're all in the work of God. And see, that's not the way we think. You think, well, God called our pastor into the work of God. <laughs> no, you're in the work of God. Amen. Everybody, the whole church, that's what Ephesians 4 teaches so clearly. It's not just my job to go to the hospital. It's your job. It's not just my job to visit the sick. It's your job. You can be a great servant of the Lord just by ministering to people like Philip did. So, question? What widow have you visited lately? Have you read what the Bible says about widows? I'm going to get in trouble here. You know that verse says, he that provideth not for his own is worse than an infidel? Yes. Oh, yeah. We quote that to say a man's supposed to take care of his family. But the passage is talking about taking care of widows. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not just you taking care of your family, but it's talking about the church taking care of widows. That's what it's talking about. When's the last time you looked for somebody that was homebound? When's the last time you... Went to somebody that's in their 80s and lives by themselves. And you say, well, they're getting around as good as I am. You reckon they ever get lonely? Yeah. Here, here's what I tell Cornerstone. By the, by the way, it is true. I'm convinced beyond the shadow of that. The reason God has blessed Cornerstone is many of those people practice what I preach better than I do. Many of them practice what I preach better than I do. And I tell them that God has blessed Cornerstone because they're ministering to people. And if you'll minister to people, God will send you somebody to minister to. Amen. But if you got comfortable in your Jerusalem, your routine, are y'all listening? You see, the success, and I don't even like that term, but if, if Victory Baptist Church is going to accomplish more for God, it's not it's not, not going to depend on this one man. It's going to depend on everybody. Amen. Because your job is to minister and his job is to feed. Yeah. Now that doesn't let him off the hook. He's to minister just like I am. But if he can't labor in the word and doctrine, 
because he's doing the jobs you could be doing and he can't feed his well. So if you ever say, well, he's just not doing a good job of feeding us, it's probably because you're not doing a good job of ministering. Uh-oh. You didn't like that statement, did you? <laughs> Are y'all getting this? Yeah. I'm not beating you up. I'm actually trying to help you to see how big this thing is. And this is how missions get started. I, I, can, I can give you a lot of insight on missions, but this is where it's going to start this week anyway. And, and, and it's, it's, listen, take a bottom turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. It starts with you. Here's what I've learned. The, and and I'm, I'm a mess. My life's a lot better Christian than I am. Here's what I learned. I learned that the more I try to be a blessing to others, the happier I am. Amen. That's correct. And the more I get caught up in me, the more miserable I am. Yes. Amen. You want a happy church? Just get a bunch of people that is taking care of somebody else. Get a bunch of people that's going to the nursing home, not because it's in the bulletin. Not because Brother Bob and I say we're going to have a nursing home minute. Is that the only time you can go? You want to see a happy church? Find a church where there's a bunch of people that are looking for somebody that's just lost their loved one and you want to take a pie or a cake or a, or a casserole over there. You're looking for some widow or some widow. You're looking for some children that don't have two parents. You're looking for opportunities to help people like Jesus did. We'll talk about this in a moment, but the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, and let us not be weary and well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we make not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us. Somebody tell me the next two words. Do good. Do good. <laughs> you know what? We're supposed to be do gooders. That's what we're supposed to do. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. It says we're to do good unto all men, especially unto those who are of the household of faith. And then the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 verse 9, Philippians chapter 4 verse 9, I love this, Paul the Apostle talking to one of his, probably his favorite church, and he says to those Philippians, uh, he says, those things, I'm in Philippians chapter 4 verse 9, he says, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, believe also. That's not what he said, is it? Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do! Isn't that what he says? By the way, that's before verse 13. I can do all things through Christ with strengthening me. That's before verse 19. My God shall supply all your needs. You know how you can do all things? You know how he'll supply your needs? If you get busy doing. But you got to do. He's given you something to do and He wants you to do it. I believe as Bible believers in 2023, I believe that far too much consolation we give ourselves because we believe right. Boy, yeah. yeah, we got our Boy, right. Amen. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Amen. The first two letters of doctrine is do. Wow. The Bible says in the last days men will be heady. Yeah. We got it up here. It never gets into this. It never gets into our feet. And now we can Google anything so we're really smart. And we're puffed up with knowledge. You know what James said? He said, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Isn't that what he said? Yes. Paul said, what you've seen and heard in me, do. Psalm 37, 3 says, trust in the Lord and do good. In Acts 10, Simon Peter is waxing eloquent. He's preaching. He starts bragging about Jesus. He said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and, uh, with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good. What's Peter's description of Jesus? Just went about doing good. Isn't that what he says? 
That's in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. You can look it up for yourself. The Bible says in Titus 3 that we're maintaining good works. I call it, I call it down to earth Christianity. I call it Christianity with its sleeves rolled up. I call it Christianity with its boots on. Jesus said, whoever will be great among you will be your minister. You ever stop and think about people say, well, I believe the great men in the Bible were Peter, James, and John. You know why they say that? Because those guys wrote books. But who did they write about? Read it. They wrote about names you can't remember. By the, if I were to ask you right now, name those seven men in Acts 6. You probably couldn't name two of them. Phil and Stephen. You remember those because we just got through talking about it. Those were great men. When Paul's on his deathbed, he's getting ready to go to the guilty, I suppose. I'm ready to depart. My departure's at hand. What's he do in 2 Timothy 4? He doesn't start talking about all his great preaching at Mars Hill. He doesn't talk about the earthquake in Acts 16 where the jailer got set. He starts naming all those people who got up and went to work every day but ministered to him. All those people who were just good church members. Y'all understand this? That's what goes through Paul's mind when he's facing his last days. So in Acts 6, we've got seven men of honest report. In Acts 12, we've got somebody who was praying for Peter at Mary's house. Over there in Acts 23, we've got a guy named Paul's sister's son. <laughs> he's, he's in the Bible as Paul's sister's son. did something. That's who he is. you got Dorcas over there full of good works. And when she dies, everybody shows up. Who we ever heard of? Dorcas. Dorcas is not Billy Graham. Not a Jack Kyle's or a Peter Ruckman. She's in the Bible. She's faithful. I could go on and on and on about these down-to-earth Christians who were just faithful to do what they could do to help the men of God do what they were supposed to do. So let's go back to the book of Acts. We'll wrap this up in just a moment. Let's go back to Acts chapter 8. All my heart's desire is to help Victory Baptist Church. Listen, you know what I'm about to tell you. But over there, where Jesus is making that quilt and driving them out of the temple, He said, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you've made it. You know what this church is? It's whatever you make it. He said, it's up to God. No, it's not. He's already done His part. This church will be what you make it. Good point. He said, you made it a den of thieves. And so over here in Acts chapter 8, you come to verse 5 and you've got then. One of those then moments. So Philip's been faithful in the local church. He's been ministering to the widows, right? And because he's been faithful in the little things and because he's been a faithful church member and an honorable church member, now the Lord is going to let him spread his tent. And the Bible says in verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Who wants to go there? That's a bunch of outcasts. That's a bunch of rejects. That's Carthage, Tennessee. That's Crossville. Yeah. Everybody okay? And so, he says, I want you to go down to Samaria. And he does. I asked my church when I preached on this last time, why didn't he get, why didn't he get to Peter? 
first time Peter sees an outcast, a reject, an Ethiopian, he's going to say, unclean, unclean, unclean. Why didn't he get to James and John? Well, they're still arguing over who's greatest in the kingdom. <laughs> why didn't he ask Thomas? Well, Thomas still having doubts. <laughs> well, why didn't he get Nathan? Well, that would make Peter jealous. I just send Philip. Philip don't care about all that other stuff. So I'll just send Philip down here to Samaria. And uh, they, they had a revival, right? Good things happen in Samaria. People are getting saved. It's Simon, look, in verses 9, the Bible says in verse 8, there was great joy in that city. Wouldn't you love to see that happen in America today? Yes. yes. My, so people say, well, there'll never be another revival in America. I disagree. I believe you could have one at Victory Baptist Church. I do. I believe you could have one in Crossville. I believe you could have one in Cornerstone or Carthage. I believe God's still able. Yes. I don't believe God's hands are tied. I don't believe He's handcuffed. I don't believe He's weak. I still believe God wants to do something, and He wants to do it with His people. Yeah. And so there's this great revival breaks out in Samaria, and in verses 9 through 25, you see all of the good things that happen. Simon the sorcerer gets saved. Who's that? He'd be like a town drug dealer. Sorcery. Pharmacia. Amen. He'll be like a drug dealer getting saved. And so a lot of good things are happening. It's a great revival. And then in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And it's been preached on and preached on and preached on. How would you like to be the preacher that's in the middle of a great revival and God tells you to go to the desert to deal with one guy? Here's my take on it. Christianity is not about the counting. It's not about the missions conference. It's not about youth rallies. You see, I think we really do measure our Christianity by what happens here. Yeah. As a matter of fact, and don't misunderstand this, I've been in some count meetings. I was in a count meeting one time with Brother Earl Hughes. And I still say it to this day, and that's over 20 years ago. I've never, ever been in a meeting where somebody got so drunk on the Holy Spirit, and I did not want that night to end. I praise the Lord for that meeting. That was under a tent, by the way. And I've been in some meetings that were good. But you know, let me tell you something. You can get in a good service and you can just get to feeling all those goosebumps and you can get to feeling the warm fuzzies and, and you can get to thinking about how good God is and the tears can start flowing and everybody's in the altar and everybody's praising the Lord and you'll get to thinking you're spiritual. And then Monday comes. <laughs> and your wife or your husband says one simple sentence that you don't like and the warm fuzzies are gone. Your walk with God shouldn't be measured by what goes on at the church house. Amen. Amen. How about what you do Monday yes. through Saturday? Yes. How do you handle when your spouse says something they shouldn't have said? How do you handle when your kids are at each other's throat? How do you handle that phone call you weren't expecting? How do you handle that unjust criticism? How do you handle it when God gives you something to do and the only body, only people going to know about it is you and that Ethiopian? You know what I hate in church? Prayer request. <laughs> oh, no. They're gossip sessions for one. We're fixing to do away with 
I'm going to just do away with them. I'm going to tell them, write it down on a piece of paper. We'll take home with us and pray for I don't need all the dirty details. I did this about five years ago, and then I got lax, and now I'm going to do it again. And then you've always got this guy that wants to stand up and tell you how many people he witnessed to on Saturday. Yeah, I ran into old hard case yesterday. He said this, but I told him. Huh? You know what I'm talking about? Philip don't get to tell anybody. He's going to the desert. Can you minister in a desert place where nobody knows what you're doing? Just you and God. No accolades. Your name's not even in the bulletin. Anybody understand what I'm saying? Yeah, he's having a good time there in Samaria. But there's somebody that's got a need out in the desert. And God says, uh, Philip, I have a job for you. And the Bible says in verse 27, I love this, and he arose and went. <laughs> Boy, would to God we did like that. Yes. And he arose and went. Because Christianity is not lived in the revival. Verse 30, and Philip what? Ran. Ran. Wow. Church, please hear me. God told Philip, I want you to go to the desert. i got a job for you to do. He arose and went, and now he sees this unit, and he runs to him. Why? Because this is his opportunity. He's excited about it. This is what God gave me to do. You remember what the Bible says about Zacchaeus when he was up in that tree? And the Lord said, hey, I'm going to your house today. And the Bible said, he made haste. Do you remember when Bartimaeus was out there standing on the street corner? Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me. And they said, shut up, be quiet. But Jesus is passing by. And the Bible says he cried out the more a great deal. Why? This is his moment. You remember that woman that had the issue of the blood and she's trying to just reach out and touch the garment? I can see her pushing and pulling and tugging and trying her best to just lunge to touch that garment. Why? This is her time. This is her moment. You remember Esther for such a time as this? You can't drag your feet when God's in calling you to do something. 2016, we had an election. I told Cornerstone, God might give us a reprieve. Did you know that kingdoms throughout history have risen and fallen? Remember the sun shall not set on the British Empire? Well, it did. <laughs> and now, the, what used to be great churches are pubs. I had a friend of mine tell me he walked all over the place around the Metropolitan Tabernacle where, where Spurgeon used to preach and would ask people if they knew anything about Spurgeon. He said some of them didn't even know his name. It said, God raised up a nation that is unbelievable, the United States of America. How much more time we got left? We better seize the moment. Yeah, yeah. Victory Baptist Church, this is your time. And it is running out. And so Philip is in the middle of a great revival. He's told to go to the desert for one man. And by the way, I do believe this, and I wish there were more I wish there were preachers and missionaries here. I'd preach on this for a long time. The greatest work you'll ever do is one-on-one. -on -one. The most effective work you'll ever do is one-on-one. -on -one. The men in our church that I, and we've got some great men in our church, but there are some men right now that I spent hours on top of hours when they were 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. And now they're married and they're having children, and I'm watching the impact they're having on our church, and I'm just rejoicing. 
Jesus spent a lot of time with small groups. We like to think about the multitudes. But he called Peter aside. He called John aside. He spent time with people one-on-one. So, you know what you ought to be excited about? It's not how many people you're ministering to, but that God just called your name Mm -hmm. and said, I got a job. It might be in the nursery. It might be in a Sunday school class. It might be taking a meal to a shut-in. It might be taking a meal to a lady that just had a baby. It might be that you could call that lady that's got five kids and say, could I watch them Saturday for three hours? Can I do something that nobody knows anything about just to minister to the people of God? You know, in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. I'm going to challenge this church to say, Lord, what can I do to make our church what you want it to be? But please listen to me. Here's the way we gauge things. We would look at a Stephen, and we would say, wow, Stephen's just... Tell, he gave the greatest history lesson in the book of Acts. And he's, he's doing wonderful, and God's used him in a great way, and he's full of the Holy Ghost, and then he, they stone him, and he dies. You know what we would say? Wow. Why would God let him live or die and Paul live? <laughs> Saul of Tarsus is the one I'd have killed. How about you? Sure. And I can look at a Stephen who's now being martyred way too young and say, God, you let him die too young. He could have accomplished so much more. No. It was through his death that God convicted Saul of Tarsus. And he got saved because of Stephen's testimony. Right? Mm -hmm. I would say he was more fruitful than anybody knows. And then you got Philip. And you know what happens to Philip? Of course, he, he, he leads the Ethiopian to the Lord. Phil, uh, Brother Heath Fusioner tell, tells me that until, up until 1974, Ethiopia had a Bible-believing king. All the way up to 1974. That's some of the fruit of a Philip. Who knows what happened with that eunuch? Or that queen? We don't know the fruit, see, of just one person. Right? And so, from Acts, Acts chapter 8, to Acts 21, you don't see, Phil? You know how many years passed by from Acts 8 to Acts 21? 25 years. And then Paul is down in Caesarea. In whose house? Philip's who's still faithful, stand by the stuff, even though you got 15 chapters and his name's not even mentioned. But he's just staying by the stuff. And I, as I shared with my church recently, I can imagine getting to heaven and saying, Stephen, or Philip, I'm going to talk to you, Philip. Well, God sure used you. I enjoyed reading about your exploits. I can't imagine what it was like when you were the one of the first people in the church that God called out for a special purpose. Philip, what was the highlight of your ministry? What was the highlight of your life? And you might expect Philip to say, you ain't going to believe this. But there were thousands of people in that church. And they picked out the seven best men there. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Or Philip might say, well, I'll tell you this. God sent me down to Samaria. And use me to start a great revival. Man. 
Or you might expect Philip to say, you know what? I was down there in Samaria. Great revival broke out. And God literally spoke to my heart and said, I want you to go to the desert. And there's a queen out there and there's a eunuch out there. You ain't going to believe this. God knew that I could explain Isaiah 53. And I sat down with that man and I told him how it was. <laughs> and that eunuch got saved. Or you might expect him to say, guess what? I baptized him. And the Holy Spirit just picked me up and moved me in time and space. That's what it says in the book of Acts. Or Philip might not say any of that. He might just say, you know, if I think about the highlight of my life, I'll never forget the night that first little girl was born. And God laid a little girl in my hand and said, raise her for my glory. And another one, and another one, and another. And I don't know that I ever did anything greater than just trying to be a faithful daddy. Or Philip might say, you know, if you're going to ask me about the highlight of my ministry, God gave me the unbelievable privilege of sitting on the front porch with a little old widow lady that just had the glow of God on her. And I'd visit her on Mondays and on Tuesdays. I'd go to this old man's house. This old man had been faithful for 75 years serving God, and he would give me little nuggets. And when I left, I felt like I'd had my wagon loaded, and he would say, Philip, son, I sure appreciate you coming by here today. You made my day. And Philip could say, I thought I was on the receiving end, but to hear him talk, I was on the giving end. And that's some of the best times in my life. Church, if we're going to do something for God, it's going to start right here. Right here in Cumberland County, Crossville, Tennessee, at your house, in your little neighborhood, this church will be what you make it. And as you learn to serve others and minister to others, God will grow the church. That's his job. And you'll see more and more people called, more and more opportunities to serve, and more people to help you. But you've got to be faithful doing what you can do. Amen. Let's all stand. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Just get someone to come to the panel. Not any singing right now.